Welcome to an informative and hilarious podcast hosted by Mitch Adams of Wrestle Royalty and Stephen Dickey from WOW, Women of Wrestling. In the worlds of comic book related media and pro wrestling, both tell stories while everyone involved wears tight, colorful outfits that would make circus performers blush. Ladies and gentlemen, WrestleRoyalty.com and Harley Quinn Memes on Facebook proudly present Storytelling in Spandex. Hello everybody and welcome to Storytelling in Spandex. My name is Mitch Adams. I'm joined today as always by women of wrestling superheroes, color co- commentator extraordinaire Stephen Dickey. How's it going, mate? Doing well, Mitch. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> Yeah, I'm always glad to give you an intro, even though I'm not a commentating whiz like you are. I do my best, <laughs> best com- uh, the, the best introductions I can. Um, no, are you kidding me? That accent's winning all the ladies over, man. <laughs> it, well, not, not if everyone else speaks like this, mate. <laughs> it might Touché. work in your neck of the woods. It doesn't work when everybody else speaks like this. Um, <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Uh, just want to give a quick shout out to WrestleRoyalty.com and Kendra Bunyan for helping making this possible and also to say uh, check out uh, Harley Quinn memes on Facebook, um, uh, our Facebook group. It's, group. it's a lot of fun. Also, uh, share this podcast if you've listened to it and enjoyed it. Make sure to rate it and make sure to subscribe to it. Today, we have an absolutely wonderful episode. We're going to be discussing a few things that interconnect. Firstly, we're going to be discussing how... Let's be frank, Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of kicks the DCEU's butt, bum, rear, whatever you want to call it. But uh, DC Comics has always produced the far superior television shows, even going back to the 1970s. But And we'll also, after that, be discussing how All Elite Wrestling has pretty much brought tag team wrestling back to the forefront but they just can't seem to get women's wrestling right, whereas WWE has produced some of the best women's wrestling outside of WOW, I should say. <laughs> Cheap plug. Oh, <laughs> nice plug there. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's get straight, straight stuck into it. So, man, who could have ever thought when Iron Man first came out, when did Iron Man first come out? Holy dooly, 12 2008. years ago? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I remember I, I, I was first in line to see it, man. I remember my dad, my brother, and I, we were so excited. But, you know, like you said, like who would have ever, who would have thought 12 years ago that it would have blown up into what it is now? Mm. And, you know, it, it, if you're looking at, if you're looking at as, as from a, probably like a studio's perspective back, back then, because back then Marvel wasn't owned by Disney and Marvel nope. had to come up with a lot of cash to get this thing made. The, the, yeah. the actual... I mean, it was a big risk if you think about it, because outside of hardcore comic book fans, not many Iron Man's not the most well-known comic book character. Robert Downey Jr. was uh, still seen as a you know a, a, a big risk, given all of his you know shenanigans, let's shall we say, in his younger days, and yet it just absolutely exploded. I think it was one of the highest-grossing movies. To this day, it's one of the highest grossing movies ever and it birthed this entire cinematic universe which everything is interconnected and everything is just so massive. I mean, who would have thought it, huh, huh Stephen? 
I, 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 like I said, I mean, when I saw it 12 years ago in theaters, I just thought it was a really cool movie. Like I love John Favreau. I thought his, you know, for it'd be one of his earliest directorial efforts. Cause I think to that point he, what he had only directed elf. Right. I mean, it was like only his second movie um, to come out and he had, I mean, he just blew everybody away. It was just per- like you said, it was just these perfect, this perfect storm of, Robert Downey Jr., you know, like you said, that was a risk. And the just Iron Man being a lesser known property being a risk, you know, but then again, Marvel, you know, especially in film film wise, it wasn't coming off of like this golden age. You know, we'd had the Ang Lee's Hulk movie. Hmm. We had the Fantastic Four movies. You know, it's like uh, other than other than the X-Men series, which even to that point, I mean, the last one we got was Last Stand up until, you know, before Iron Man. So yeah, really, I mean, Marvel wasn't having this great period of of excellent films. So for them to come out with Iron Man, I, I think expectations were were low. Uh, but I mean, again, like I said, who, you like you, you put it perfectly. Who would have thought it would have blown up into what it is? You know, um, uh, I can always, I can never, I always butcher the pronunciation. Kevin, Kevin Feig, Kevin Feig, Kevin Feige, Feige, yes. So yeah, he, I mean, genius to to uh, to get all of these 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 uh, intellectual properties together and be able to keep everything connected and weave it the way he had, weave it the way he has. So uh, just incredibly impressive effort what they've done, what they've built there. But yeah, I mean, at that point. In 2008, it was not it was not the golden age of Marvel movies that we know now. No, and if I remember correctly, the follow up for it, and the, I suppose the first really you could suppose call it the first MCU film, which was connected to Iron Man, and we didn't realize this until I think uh, just before the credits was uh, Edward Norton's Incredible Hulk movie, which did not do too well. And it, it, we only realized that it was connected when Robbie Danny Jr. had that cameo, I think in the last five minutes. So. And so, I, I mean, I have a soft spot for the incredible Hulk movie though. I thought like, like I, I love Edward Norton. I, he's one of my favorite actors, even though according, you know, to what everybody says, he's kind of a pill to deal with, but I, I mean, I really did. I thought that was a great movie. I thought William Hurt did excellent as general Ross, which I'm glad they brought him back for future yeah. installments. Um, and yeah, I mean the Robert Downey Jr. cameo at the end, like that was another one I saw in theaters that summer with, with my, my dad and my brother. And I remember that cameo, like we all just like, like just, we totally marked out, you know, to steal a a term from, from, you know, the wrestling world we did, we were like, it was, we couldn't believe that we were seeing, you know, these two huge, two huge movie properties, you know, you know, weaving themselves together and I remember after that, like uh, I was working at a video store at the time, not to date myself, but yeah, I was working at a, a video rental store. And I remember one of the guys I was working with one day, he just starts talking about, he's like, yeah, so this is, you know, this is all building to the Avengers. And, you know, I dabbled in comic books, mostly, again, like I said, mostly DC was my, yeah. my big thing. And I was like, I was like, I've heard of the Avengers. Like, like I, I didn't know what, I didn't really understand like, quite what the Avengers was and he's like he's like well you like you like comic books right and he's like yeah I'm like yeah I love comic books and he's like imagine the Justice League but for Marvel I'm like wait what 
And I'm like, so, so how are they going to make this work? And he starts talking about Thor and Captain America and Hawkeye and Black Widow. And I was just like, whoa, like my, my, like I couldn't even wrap my head around it. I'm like, this is so ambitious. There's no way this is going to happen. And then of course we have a two year hiatus between um, Incredible Hulk and Thor and First Avenger, you know? So I mean, there were plenty of, there, there were a few moments there where I was like, there, in those couple of years, I was like, this is not, I was like, yeah, I knew it. I was like, they're, they're blowing it. You know, they're going to blow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, then that Thor movie came out and all, all credit goes to, I can't believe, this is the thing that really struck me. The, the directors they get is quite a, quite a right. Reason. John Favreau is primarily a comedy director. And he, they brought yeah. him in for to speak. He had never done anything of this massive scale with Iron Man and Iron Man Two, and he killed it. And um, yeah. uh, and they, I, I, I forget who directed the first Captain America movie, but I know he was. He's a long established director. He's directed like oh Joe Joe Johnson Joe Johnson, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah. he directed yeah. a he's directed a million movies, and yeah, none of them come to mind. But uh, apparently, he's a very prolific filmmaker, but not one, not a filmmaker that got massive fame and fortune just 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 a strong hand that knows what he's doing which was smart call and he made that movie work but you know the thor movie they got a proper shakespearean actor writer director and kenneth Branagh to do thor oh one of my one of my absolute favorites i i love kenneth Branagh's hamlet so i was really excited to hear he was directing thor so that like that again that's another one that has a soft spot for me for for that reason and then you've got you factor in Hugo Weaving, you know, he was just like, like Hugo Weaving and Kenneth Branagh working together in any capacity. I, I will, I will put my money down day one. No questions asked. I don't think Kenneth, uh, Hugo and Kenneth work together. I think uh, Hugo, Hugo. I, my bad. I, yeah, I'm confusing Captain America. We were talking about Captain America and then we're talking about, Thor. we're talking about Thor. But yeah. It's, Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins yeah, working with Kenneth Branagh. That's, my gosh, I, I'm confusing the movies now. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Anthony Hopkins working with Kenneth Branagh. That's what, yeah, that's what I was excited about because I love Anthony Hopkins' work throughout, uh, throughout uh, his film career. And then seeing him work with a prolific director and actor like Kenneth Branagh, I was like, I knew, I knew whatever magic they were going to make on screen was going to be something just incredibly worthwhile. And it was. I mean, it, they, I mean... Everybody knocked it out of the park. And then, of course, Chris Hemsworth was relatively unknown at the time. And he came in and just proved that he's this heavyweight when it comes to these action movies. Here's a funny thing, mate. Chris Hemsworth and all the Hemsworths got their start in soap operas in in Australia. (laughs) That's right. I do remember reading that. Yeah, I have not gone back and seen any of their catalog of soap opera work. (laughs) <laughs> but uh but yeah it's uh i know that i do remember reading that's how they all got their starts and yeah, thing, uh, i mean it's it's funny to think about that the thing of it is we don't produce a great deal of television down here sadly we're, we're getting better <laughs> at it but we don't produce a great deal of television a lot of the stuff is either soap opera or soap opera ish and yet we produce some of the best actors in hollywood so <laughs> that's i mean yeah how many great i mean how many great aussie actors do we have now that, uh, that yeah, I remember Heath Ledger. There's you know there's the uh, story of him. Uh, speaking of comic book movies, um, Heath Ledger got his start um, on some pretty um, interest 
interesting Australian productions down there. I remember seeing some <laughs> clips of his early work, and it was uh, it's not his best work to say the least. But uh, yeah, he uh, yeah he got his start on some on some interesting productions down there too. Yeah, you should see some of the stuff Ribble Wilson has done in Australia. This very low grade. Really? Yeah, this very low grade cold comedy. There was some. There's something in a. a, a there's a TV show in Australia called uh, Fat Pizza, and it is the most. Poli- <laughs> it is the most politically incorrect show you can imagine, and yet it's been going on for about 15 years, and it's absolutely hilarious. Oh it's it. It's not for the faint of heart. I will admit <laughs> that it's 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 definitely very funny. If if you ever, oh ever get the chance, check it out. Um. Yeah, well, you brought up DC and, you know, we brought yeah. up the fact, you know, I we both lean towards DC as opposed to Marvel, even though we do like Marvel. But ever since Christopher Nolan left DC, they just haven't been quite able to match Marvel's success. And I think uh-huh. one of the big problems is because they were looking to match Marvel's success with the, the shared universe, they were thinking too much uh, overall narrative and not each particular film. And as a result, each particular film hasn't quite brought up the snuff, a- excluding Wonder Woman. That, that was the only one that they really knocked it completely out of the park. You know, I still have... Uh, uh, Aquaman soft... got good reviews too, though. Um, you, you know, Jamie... Oh, sorry, no, not to interrupt you, but uh, uh, Aquaman got good reviews. Jamie oh, yeah, Wan's oh, directorial... Of course, I'll, forgive me, I completely yeah. forgot about Aquaman. But at the, for a long time... You're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a long time, Wonder Woman was the only one, even though I do have a soft spot for um, uh, Suicide Squad. But uh, yeah. I, know, I, know, I know that was far from the perfect film. Um, Justice League, uh, you know, maybe Snyder will do better with the Snyder cut. But, you know, you know Joss Whedon came in and changed everything from head to toe and it didn't work, which is shocking because usually Joss Whedon can fix anything, but for some reason it just didn't happen then. Yeah. Joss and, Whedon typically uh, has the, met, the the Midas touch when it comes to anything related to nerd culture. You know, he's like, it, it, I mean, I can't, I think Justice League was the first time I remember anybody like just absolutely just crapping on anything Joss Whedon had done. You know, like mm-hmm. you look back at the Avengers and Buffy, and he even had a writing credit on Toy Story. I mean, he's just like literally everything he touched, it turned to gold. And yet here he is, you know, I think everybody thought he was going to be like uh, uh, what J.J. Abrams had done with Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, You know, well, that's another discussion for another time. But I, I think a lot of people thought that Joss Whedon coming in and doing the Justice League movie, people were like, yes, all right, yeah, Joss Whedon. And then they see the final result and they're like, no, that's not what we wanted. Yeah. Stop that. <laughs> and, you know, it, it just, it really, it really didn't go, you know, quite as well as anybody had expected, but I'm with you. Maybe, you know, everybody's got a lot of high hopes for the Snyder cut. I, I'm just hoping at this point with the Snyder cut, it's not, um, you know, all hype, you know, it's, you know, sizzle and no steak. I'm really hoping it's not one of those situations, but I'm a big fan of Zack Snyder's. I know, uh, there's a big discussion on Twitter not too long ago about some of his, uh, some of his work, his body of work, not being, you know, quite what it's cracked up to be. But I, I mean, I, I really do. I think, I think he has a lot of love for the DC EU, you know, as, uh, right. as ill-fated as it may be at this point. Uh, but I know he's put his heart and soul into it and 
He's gone through a lot of uh, tribulations in the midst of working on it. And he's still shown utter commitment to it. So I'm definitely, I think we're all willing to give it a chance, but uh, you know, again, it's just been so hyped at this point. It's got so much to live up to expectation wise. It'll be really interesting to see what the final result really is and what the final reception is once it's released. Absolutely. I'm a bit worried about the release because in the U S it's being released on HBO max no HBO Max here, so I'm I'm, I'm wondering how yeah. it'll get released. I'm hoping it'll get released here in some way, shape, or form. But anyway, I digress. Um, but you know, as mixed at best as DC films have been, DC TV has been kicking Marvel TV's rear for you know eons. I mean, if you think about iconic comic book television. You think the Batman original series, you think Batman the Animated Series, you think Wonder Woman, you know, those types of things. And modern sense, you think the Arrowverse. You think, you think Arrow, you think Legends of Tomorrow, you think Supergirl, you think Flash, you know, Batwoman, all those shows. I mean, they, they are probably some of the best produced television you'll see. And they've become almost iconic levels. I mean, I, I, I've said this... Uh, many a time, uh, the Arrow versus um, uh, Crisis on Infinity Earths uh, crossover was probably on par with uh, the MCU in terms of bringing all these things together. I mean, and it seemed to me like DC telling to going to Marvel and saying, um, "Yeah, you've got this one big universe. Well, we've got dozens because they brought exactly. in because they brought in you know every." Um, uh, because they called it Infinite Earths, as in you no know, multiverse theory, and they had cameos from um, from Burt Ward from the original Batman series. They had cameos from the, the original two thousands uh, Birds of Prey TV series. I mean, they had cameos from all the cu- current stuff. They had cameos uh, from the original uh, Flash. Um, I forget his name. Forgive me, the actor who played him. Um, I mean, they had. I mean, it was just mind-boggling the people they got. They got um uh, the the original uh, reporter, the male reporter from the first Batman movie, from Tim Burton's first Batman movie. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I, I was watching watching this, thinking, this is DC telling it Marvel to shove it. So, and good on yeah, us. Yeah, well, and it's it's. I mean, it makes you, it makes you wonder. It's like you know, I, I get why they produce these films, but it. it it just makes you wonder, like, if the if they took the amount of money and time and effort that they're putting into these films that don't perform well, and you got to wonder at a certain point, like, are they making enough money? I mean, it's like, sure, they're making money, but they've got these huge projections in mind, and it makes you wonder, are they making enough back to make it worth their while? And it's like, at a certain point, I'm sure they're not compared to the MCU. But with TV, I mean, you take those efforts, you put them into your television, and they've got so many properties that I think work better on television uh it just yeah again it just it, it's a head scratcher as to why they don't kind of invest more because they've had so much success like you said recently with arrow and flash and legends of tomorrow and supergirl that they've had all of these home run tv series and marvel has kind of dropped the ball you know it's like agents of shield had some moderate success but it's you know critical reviews were always just kind of middle of the road you know it's like there wasn't anything they did poor but there wasn't anything they did well you know with the exception of the netflix series which were doomed the minute disney said hey we're doing our own streaming service you know it it was you know with the exception of those shows uh you know and even they had their own druthers once you get to the 
the racist uh, Iron Fist uh, show that they did. You know, so it's there's there's a lot there that it makes you wonder why DC doesn't just go with what works and keep doing television because television it seems to be that I mean they don't miss I mean there's sure there's a few things out there that went better than others Arrow you know eventually took a, a critical turn at a certain point where people kind of you know weren't as on board with it as they were with uh with the earlier seasons and then uh but but yeah I mean like you you brought up like dating all the way back to the original Adam West Batman to Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, to the Batman animated series. And then all, you factor in the Batman animated series and all of these brilliant animated films that they've done, you know, <laughs> since then. Why don't they just do more of what works and quit trying to, it's almost too ambitious when they try for these films, other than, you know, Batman with Tim Burton and Christopher Nolan has, has you know, even the Superman movies with, you know, once Richard Donner left, yeah. you know, and you've got Superman three and four, they weren't, up to snuff with with really anything else that they'd done so it, it just makes you wonder it's like there's there's so much more quality that they can that they can produce with tv uh and and it seems like there's there's got to be a way to make make that more worthwhile than trying to continuously pursue these films that really don't they they, they start with 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 so much promise and really just fizzle out at the end it seems to me that they've abandoned, not haven't abandoned it, but they've they've um changed up the universe idea a bit. They're not they're not trying to do um big shared things anymore. They're trying to focus it on the individual films and have slight connections between each. I mean, Shazam yeah. had a slight connection to Superman and Batman, not not major. And Birds of Prey obviously had a slight connection to Suicide Squad. So they're trying they're trying to, but they're trying to focus more on the individual stories, which I think, which I think works much better for them at, at, at present. And I, I think they're also trying to keep the budget slower than Marvel films, which. Well, and it's, it's smarter to do it that way because yeah. when you think about it, it's like, so with, with Marvel, I think it was that, you know, they proved it's like after Iron Man, after Incredible Hulk, and then that hiatus. And then we get Iron Man two, Thor and Hulk, uh, uh, Captain America. There was a demand, Absolutely. you know, by the time 2012 rolled around, you had, you know, really five, uh, we'll say maybe three, <laughs> Hulk and Iron Man 2. I don't think we're as received, no. as well received as, as uh, Iron Man, Hulk, uh, uh, Captain America, and Thor. But you had, for the most part, these movies that just got stellar reviews. The cast was perfect. Like you mentioned, they brought in these brilliant directors. Everything just, there was this perfect storm to where the demand was like, all right, you've got this really big movie coming out with the Avengers, we're going to give it a chance. We really want to see it, you know, so, you know, you, you better deliver. And, but the demand was there, the expectations were there and everything just fired on all cylinders with mm -hmm. DC. It was, we got man of steel, which I enjoyed man of steel. I know there were certain things in there that, you know, eh, could have been, you know, it, certain things were good. Certain things weren't so good, yeah. but I enjoyed it. Uh, but it wasn't like after man of steel part, people weren't like, well, let's see what you got next. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and then not to mention Dawn of Justice. It was like they just did Man of Steel and they just rushed into Dawn of Justice. And then we just got, you know, we just got Wonder Woman and Batman thrown at us. And we're just like, you know, there was not, there wasn't really this time to simmer. There wasn't really this yeah. time to create a demand. And, and we just were, we just had this really like Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Was like, holy cow, like take it easy, guys. You know, let's, let's slow down a bit. Yeah. 
and um, and I'm looking at everything now overall, and I'm looking at what DC is doing with TV and streaming, especially with streaming. They've got obviously mm-hmm. uh, no um, Titans and Doom Patrol, especially Doom Patrol. That's super popular, mm-hmm. and they have that amazing Harley Quinn animated series. Yep, and obviously they have all the Arrowverse shows, and and I'm looking at the Marvel side. Because the Netflix deal was done and dusted, sadly, which is unfortunate because, you know, we, 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 we obviously the racial stuff with Iron Fist, but, you know, they did have knocked it out of the park with um, Daredevil and with um, Luke Cage and with Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones was especially my favorite. I thought that was a brilliant show. And oh, man, the- I'm glad you said that because I love Jessica Jones. And I mean, I, I, I love Daredevil. I love Luke Cage, but I have such a soft spot for Jessica Jones. I just thought the stories were brilliant. David Tennant. Yeah as Kilgrave was a wonderful performance. I think he does not get enough credit for his turn as Kilgrave. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Like Marvel had some, they were on the cusp of like some really good TV. Yeah. And then it was just like the rug was pulled out from everybody once that, once the Disney plus and Netflix thing went into play. And, you know, I mean, Marvel's got a, a, an, a, an opportunity with WandaVision and Falcon and Hawkeye or yeah. Falcon, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Hawkeye and, Loki and all these TV series that are in production, but yeah. you know, you know, kind of like we talked about in our first episode, you know, COVID has, you know, kind of hindered so many things right now that it makes yeah. you wonder, you know, what's going to happen with these TV series. Well, they're just, they're just all delayed until further notice. Unfortunately, I think, um, exactly. I mean, uh, one of my favorite sort of DC shows, I mean, it was from the Vertigo imprint of DC, but sort of DC shows, is Lucifer on Netflix. Yes. And they had their big fifth season, which they were splitting into two parts. The first part is filmed, done and dusted, and they're releasing it next week. And I'm super excited about it. But, you know, um, yep. <laughs> uh, they've still got two episodes left to film in the second season, and they don't know when they're going to be able to do it. So it might be a whole year before we see the part two of season five. So, which was exactly. So that's, yeah, but we discussed all that in the first episode. Check, go back, oh, to, no, the, no. <laughs> go back to the archives and check, check it out. Uh, listeners, you know, like I said, you know, share, rate, subscribe. Seriously. We, we do, we're doing these things for you. Okay. Um, yeah, like and and like you, like you mentioned with the Disney Plus shows, I mean, if when they if they ever get off the ground, Marvel does have an opportunity to sort of show up DC in the TV stakes because I know Feige, I don't think he's said this, but I think he has uh, he does privately acknowledge in in the TV and streaming stakes, DC kicks kicks Marvel's rear. So it so and I don't yeah. I think I think that does stick in his craw, and I think he wants to try to change that. So. I am super excited about WandaVision. I think that will be very interesting, very trippy. I'm getting Legion vibes, if you remember that show. So I do remember Legion. Yeah, when I, that was wasn't that uh, Dan Stevens? Wasn't he the star? It, yes. I'm, oh, he, I'm I'm a huge fan of Dan Stevens. He's one of my favorite actors. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So I'm getting Legion vibes from that show. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I might check out. I, mean, I have reservations about that, but you know, I'll, I'll keep an open mind. Marvel What If seems interesting purely because I want to yep. see an adaptation of Marvel Zombies. That would be fun. So, oh my god, I would love Marvel Zombies. Was like, that was that was one of those ones that like I. That, regardless of if you're a DC or Marvel fan, you ha- you've had you had to check out Marvel Zombies. It was just yeah. so 
crazy, bizarre, and out there. Yeah, if yeah, if you haven't if you haven't read Marvel Zombies, everybody has to check that out. It is it is required reading for anybody. Absolutely, absolutely, right. And you know, with you know Iron Man and Captain America now officially retired, and their roles in the Avengers probably going to Captain Marvel and Tom Holland Spider Man. I think if DC is going to make a jump towards taking some of Marvel's market share, so to speak, in the films, it would be now, especially with, um, there is plenty of buzz about Robert Pattinson's Batman from what we've seen so far. And with the big DC fandom events coming out, I'm so pumped for that, by the way, uh, they're going to release the first trial of Robert Pattinson's uh, uh, Batman. So that will be, very interesting to see. And they've got an amazing director on board. Oh, man. I'm blanking on his name, too, but he's done some incredible things. So... Is it Matt Reeves? Matt Reeves, yes. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, I uh, love Matt Reeves, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, uh, he had a hand in one of my favorite uh, uh, sci-fi monster movies with Cloverfield. Like I, So, yeah, Matt Reeves has won me over time and time again. So when I heard he was directing Batman, I was like... Look, as long as they don't cast the guy from Twilight, I think they got a good good movie on their hands. And then, you know, uh, I'm I'm still willing to give it a chance. But um, Robert Pattinson's definitely earning his uh, his street cred back. But we'll we'll see. Uh, I I don't know. I, he's not the first person I think of when I think the Cape Crusader. But man, is it uh, it's with the crew that they've got lined up for this? It's it's going to be really interesting. I, it's going to be hard for them to fail. But you know, we we we've said that before. Yeah. Well, Pattinson, ever since Twilight's been done indie film after indie film after indie film, trying to prove his acting chops. And truth be told, he has absolutely done it. I mean... Oh, I know. I, I love Lighthouse. I thought it was one of his best performances of his career. I, I, give, I give him a lot of grief for, the, for, for Twilight, but man, it's like... It's, 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 it's been, you know, it, it hasn't been long enough. He's still going to sh- have to shake some of that stigma off. Maybe, maybe just maybe, being Batman being Bruce Wayne will be the, the final nail in the twilight coffin for him. But yeah, it's uh yeah, it, that was one of those things. Like I remember when they announced like Robert Pattinson, I was just like, he's, he's doing better, but man, it's, I, I, I'm going to need like a stellar Batman performance for him to, to really win me over. Well, I think they're taking inspiration story-wise from a Batman year one, because if you look at the um, costume, mm-hmm. it's a more basic, uh, bat suit and it's more of a basic batmobile i mean the batmobile they're using just looks like a souped up charger so yeah i mean it's and it's and that's really that's really what it needs to do what they need to do they need to get it back to the basics but going like year one is the perfect story to kind of reboot you know not to use a term that's overused mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah year one is going to be the perfect story arc to really be a jump a launch point for this new, for this new director, new, new star. And, and, you know, uh, like, I, like we were talking about earlier, you know, I mentioned that uh, the reason, the reason Marvel had something on their hands with the Avengers was because of the demand with, yeah. with justice league, there wasn't a demand for it. You know, yeah. while people, while there were people who enjoyed man of steel again, then you just throw this dawn of justice movie at everything. It was like, it was a lot coming at us at once yeah. and everybody knew what they were getting at. It was like, you're not doing Justice League because the fans demand there to be a Justice League movie. You're doing Justice League because you see dollar signs. Yeah. So I think it was kind of there. It was too transparent. Yeah. Whereas yeah. right now, 
if they build upon, you know, you got Wonder Woman 84 coming out, you've got the Batman coming out, you've got, uh, I think they've, did they greenlight another Aquaman movie? I yes, feel they have. like, yeah, they, yeah they, so. They've, they've greenlit it, but they're just waiting to get the ball rolling until, you know, you know, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp stuff gets sorted. <laughs> so, yeah. Because Am yeah. Amber Heard's starting to look, starting to look uh, just as bad as Johnny at the minute. So, that's true. Yeah, they they might. Yeah, they might want to. They might want to look into that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, so if these next few films go well, and then people, you know, and like you said, they're dropping these little hints and these little cameos and stuff. Yeah. If they keep going that route, then I think I think there will eventually people will get to a point where it's like, you know what? I think I'm ready for a Justice League movie. But 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 Warner Brothers and DC, they need to let that happen naturally. It can't be yeah. something where you're just like. It's like, oh, you know, it's, it's like what, uh, what happened with Universal with the whole The Mummy and the monster movies and stuff. It just was too ambitious. They saw the dollar signs and they just, they went at it the wrong way. So, you know, Marvel and, and you know, because it wasn't Disney at that point, but Marvel and all those companies that, that were involved, all those people that were involved, you know, obviously Kevin Feige for the most part, they, they were onto something and they, they, they listened to the response that they were getting yeah. And they, they, it was a slow burn. So yeah. DC and Warner Brothers need to let it be a slow burn. And if they do that, I, I think we'll, you know, the time for a Justice League movie will present itself again. And, and I think, you know, next time it'll, I think if they let it happen naturally, I think it'll be a great, great production. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll get the Snyder Cut coming out and that might, you know, that might increase the demand. So who knows? We might, we might, we might get Justice League Two directed by Snyder. Who knows? Fingers crossed. And I've I've said this before. I think one way they can help uh, reestablish the MCU, uh, sorry, um, reestablish the DCEU, sorry, is um, Flash and Flashpoint. Because oh, that absolutely. With that storyline, they can chop and change stuff. They could recast actors that aren't working. I mean, yeah. if, if the Amber Heard Aquaman thing gets to a point where she just can't stay on the role, there's too much controversy around her, yeah, they could do flashpoints to say, oh, she's changed appearance now and be changed by a different actor. They can yeah. do, they can do it. They can do the same with you know, uh, Batflick, Ben Affleck, and have Robert <laughs> and have Robert Pattinson come in. So there's a lot of things that you know that 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 would be in my mind the um, ideal situation. I think I think they'll have to replace. Cyborg too, because the actor that played him, Ray Fisher, just seems to be bare mouthing everybody involved in, in that production. Yeah, well, it's right. it's kind of like he's taking a, he's taking like a John Boyega route of uh, of what you know John Boyega like had after the wrap of the Skywalker saga had really you know negative things to say about every, you know the production of of Star Wars and kind of what he what he endured during that time. So yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see you know if Ray Fisher has any involvement doesn't appear he wants to be involved at that point so yeah i think a recasting and i think you're right i mean a flashpoint would be a brilliant way to explain all of this and i'm i'm surprised like you know because obviously marvel went through their own you know they've they've hit the reset button so many times that it's yeah. like i'm surprised that nobody has thought about doing this with any of these comic book productions you know it's like X-Men, obviously, we've, we've kind of first saw it with the Days of Futures Past yeah, yeah, uh, story storyline being used in the films, which I thought was a brilliant, brilliant way of doing it. Well, yeah, that, that was the... I, oh, God, well, while we're, on the, while we're on the subject, how do you screw up 
one of the greatest storylines in all of comic books twice <laughs> twice they had an opportunity to 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 redo it they had an opportunity to fix all their past mistakes and they uh, buckled it again how do you do that the dark phoenix saga is one of the most brilliant story arcs ever written in comic books i will stake my life on that i, and they, I agree they couldn't they couldn't for the life of themselves get it right not once but twice i just i can't wrap my head around that it's mental man i mean after Last Stand, they came out with First Class and the second Wolverine solo film, which just really fixed all the problems with uh, with um, uh, Last Stand. And then I, lo- and I love First Class. I, I will put my life on it. That's probably the best, one of the best Marvel movies ever made. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And then you know um, we had um, uh, uh, you know Days of Future Past, also brilliant. That really worked very well. But then we had Apocalypse. Ooh, that didn't work. We mm. we got back to a uh, track with Logan. I thought, no, that was the perfect send-off for Hugh Jackman. Oh, gosh. That was absolutely brilliant. And then we had Dark Phoenix. Oh, boy. Not good. And, you know, with... But, you know, with... I said this in the last episode of um, uh, Storytelling in Spandex. Check it out, guys. Rate, share, and subscribe. Um, <laughs> uh, we had... Uh, no, uh, they're thinking about bringing the X-Men into the MCU. And I think one way that could help do that is, um, it, it, I don't know if you've read uh, X-Men versus Avengers, that big uh, comic book limited. Oh gosh. Yes. Ago. Yes. I, you know, they had the storyline with the new mutants that uh, looked to be the heir to the Phoenix and was going to have the dark Phoenix and the Phoenix force put into her. And instead it was mm-hmm. one up putting up, put it into, into all the X-Men. And X-Men and Avengers go to war. I think if they could adapt that storyline somewhat, keep it Jean Grey, but have Jean Grey turn Dark Phoenix. And then, you know, when she dies, the Phoenix Force gets transferred into all the X-Men, then we can have X-Men versus Avengers in the MCU. I think that will be a brilliant idea in my, my own estimation. So, I, I think that's the only way to do it. I'm, I'm with you. I think that is the only way to properly do it. And and of course, you know, like, like you said, in, in X-Men versus Avengers, you know, um, we see that Scarlet Witch and, and, and Wanda has such a, and they have a, she has a bigger presence too in the yeah. X-Men and Avengers storyline too, which I have been dying for the MCU to, to realize what they've got with Scarlet Witch. Yeah. And I know, well, and now they've got the intellectual property. Like they can call her Scarlet Witch again. Yeah. So it's like now that, now that they've got that, it's like, it's like I want them to go full force because uh, I, I think Elizabeth Olsen is, is an amazing actress who has done yeah. some of my – like I love her work. Her body of work speaks for itself. You go back all the way to uh, – was it Martha, Marcy, May, and Marlene? That yeah. was such a great movie. Like that was one of her earliest films. And then you look at Silent House, uh, you know, just so so much great work there. And, and yeah. that I'm, I'm like – I'm just shocked they haven't done more – with a wonderful actress like that in a, and she's perfectly cast as Wanda and Scarlet Witch. So I, I really hope that going forward, now that they have the intellectual property, now then call, call her Scarlet Witch. And now we've got, we're getting WandaVision. I'm just hoping this is the beginning of something bigger for that character. Yeah, well, she got a bit of a chance to shine in Civil War. Um, and right, had- right. Yeah, a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a, of a, 
a bigger part in the in the whole grand scheme of things. Yeah, and I think uh, what she did in Endgame, even though it was brief, was memorable, very memorable and iconic. Going up against mm-hmm. Thanos like that, I thought that worked really well. I thought that was mm-hmm. one of the most kick-ass moments of Endgame. So, yeah, I mean, there are lots of ways that they can go. And, you know, for, for my money, no matter what happens, I think the status quo will probably remain unchanged for the foreseeable future. Marvel will have better films, but DC will have better um, television. But something that I hope status quo does change is in the wrestling world. Now we're going back full circle. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, of course. We've, we've, no, we talked about, you know, obviously in the comic book sense about which company does which things better. Same thing happens in pro wrestling because at the minute, all elite wrestling probably has the very best tag team division of any company in the world, including WoW. I'm sorry, I had to say it. I, 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 I gave WoW a cheap plug earlier, but on this occasion, <laughs> no. Fire and desire, please don't come at me. I love you guys, but you know. <laughs> oh dear. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, um, I'm gonna get my ass kicked today to see this, aren't I? But <laughs> um, yeah, like all late wrestling, cause, cause the Young Bucks have really popularized wrestling, tag team wrestling again in Ring of Honor in New Japan, you know, and they brought in all these wonderful tag teams, you know, um, Private Party, uh, Lucha Bros, man, uh, the FTR, uh, you know, Butcher and the Blade, um, all these amazing tag teams. And I just... SCU, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, SCU, yeah. And when I look at... Tag team wrestling has been a lost art in WWE for 20 years. Vince, Vince McMahon just doesn't see any money in it. And then you see AEW making really their bread and butter, bread and butter on it. So it just, it's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, and it, I mean, it definitely shows a difference in mentality. And it makes sense. I mean, when you think about the Young Bucks, both Matt and Nick being EVPs of, of All Elite Wrestling, you know, of course they're going to prioritize tag team wrestling because that's what they do. That is that, like you said, use the term bread and butter. That is their bread and butter. They're tag team wrestlers. So, you know, if tag team, if they didn't put tag team wrestling as a priority, they themselves would not be a priority. So I'm not trying to call them selfish, but at the same time, I mean, you can see there's, there's definitely a, 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 there's, that's their motivation. You know, they are tag team wrestlers. So they're going to push the tag team scene heavier Whereas Vince, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's common knowledge, you know, Vince has, everybody's talked about how Vince doesn't like tag team wrestling because why pay, you know, two guys, uh, you know, for, you know, when you can just pay one guy, you know, it's, it's, uh, he's, it's, it's a, it's a financial thing for him. You know, you're going to put four guys in the ring for a match when you can just pay two guys to be in the ring for a match. So it was, you know, it's, it's, it's economics for him. Um, But yeah. And then, but you're right. I mean, AEW has just blown everybody away with tag teams. I would, I mean, I, and while we're talking about tag team wrestling, I mean, WWE's tag team scene has been just dismal. You know, it's uh, that's one thing where the brand split has definitely shown their their Achilles heel of tag team wrestling because you have two brands now with Raw and SmackDown and now NXT. Yeah. And, you know, how many great tag teams can you count? You know, you've got the new day, which is not a tag team anymore because Xavier Woods is hurt and Kofi is, has, I, I forget the storyline reason, but now Biggie's on his own. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, what was it? Imperium has the tag team titles on NXT and, um, the from NXT UK. So 
the, the, yeah, I mean, they're not even, the, they're not the even full-blown NXT. The Flandering UK brand that doesn't sell anywhere near as many tickets as, you know, Progress or ICW. I mean, yeesh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, it's so yeah, WWE's tag team division is, is just incredibly weak right now. I like my original point here was that I would even put Impact's tag team division, um, yeah. above that. And, and you know, that's you know, that I that's saying something for me. That's like, I really gotta, ugh, I gotta really clench my teeth to yeah. give Impact any compliments. But I mean, uh, it, you know, Impact has a great tag team division with the North and the Motor City Machine Guns. And uh, even some of the makeshift tag teams that they've had over the, the years have just like had this great chemistry. Um, you factor in some uh, the undercard acts like the Rascals and things like that. They, Impact has had a better tag team division than WWE, but yeah. AEW clearly has just surpassed every single promotion with their early commitment to tag team wrestling yeah. and prioritization of it, and and really just showing that uh, that tag teams can really be meaningful acts. My only only grievance is i just wish that they adhered to a a standard system of rules yeah and that is the only i think that's the only complaint i've got with aew is that the rules are just so inconsistent but i mean that's i say that and now that i think about it, i mean that's pro wrestling i mean this is we we talk about a business that literally started in in carnivals where people were trying to swindle money out of people by fixing fights so you know can we really be that bent out of shape that you know people aren't adhering to the rules in this simulated sport so you know is what it is but yeah tag team wrestling is this is this we're kind of in a golden age right now yeah absolutely and um i mean you mentioned impact before and i know you don't like mentioning impact but i think not only do uh, Impact have a better tag team division in WWE, I think Impact has a better women's division in AEW. And you know, oh, absolutely. And so, AEW, you know, their biggest glaring fault is their women's division, and it's not yeah. due to you know the people people working there because they've got some incredible talents working in AEW's women's division. That their champion Hikaru Shida, one of the best Joshi wrestlers you'll ever find. And they have that, you know, relationships with stardom and Tokyo Joshi Pro, bringing more Japanese stars over. I mean, um, they have Big Swole. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Big Swole. I think she's brilliant. But, you know, Britt Baker, while she's not great in the ring, she's incredible on the mic. Chris Statlander, I think, is an amazing gimmick. Um, but for some reason, it's just it just hasn't come together. I mean, I think lack of... At the minute, the biggest criticism is lack of airtime because they have like I think like one five-minute women's match on Dynamite, and they're putting on this what is actually a very good tag team women's tag team tournament, but they're chucking on YouTube. So, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, all great points that you bring up, and uh, you know, I uh, it, it's definitely something that's near and dear to my heart, obviously, because of my work with you know women's wrestling, but it, it's it's again, I think when you look at it, um, I, I can't help but, you know, talk, talking about AEW's women's division, I can't help but think of the comments recently from Brandy, um, you know, Brandy Rhodes, and she talks about, um, you know, she, uh, obviously she got a lot of flack on Twitter because of um, the women's division or the women's tag team tournament being on YouTube and not being given time on Dynamite to shine where it really should be. And, um, you know, she gives this cop out answer of, well, I don't book week to week. So, you know, it's not, you know, basically she's saying it's not my problem. It's not my job. Don't come at me like that. 
But if I remember correctly, when everybody was introduced in their roles of executive vice president and this and that, she was labeled the chief brand officer, which essentially yeah. she's the head of marketing. Yeah. Well, any, mar any person in marketing is going to tell you, if you're the head of marketing, you are working side by side with the executive vice presidents. One of them happens to be your husband. So don't, you know, I keep, you know I'm not buying that, that she's not talking to him. <laughs> and then you've also, you know, you're also working with people like Tony Khan, the president of the company. As the head of marketing, why would you not sit down with these people, one of them being your husband, and sit down and tell them, okay, the, 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 the market, the demographics, everything that we're trying to hit, all these terms that AEW likes to use even on television to seem, you know, like they're in tune with what fans are talking about. Yeah. Why would you, as the head of marketing, not look at somebody and say, they want to see the women given more time. Yeah. It's, it's that simple. It's that cut and dry. They want the women to have more time on TV. You need to make this an effort. If you're not booking week to week, nobody's saying Brandy's booking week to week. Yeah. But as the head of as the chief brand officer, it is your job, it is your responsibility to know what your audience wants and you're not giving it to them. So regardless of if you're not booking it week to week, you're still responsible for what the fans want and you're not giving it to them. And that is where she needs to be held accountable. And that's where a cop-out answer, like I'm not booking week to week, it's not my job, is just unacceptable. Yeah, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, I heard a rumor a while back that... Um, you know, the, the supposed second show that they were going to do on TNT that's been that was delayed due to COVID was, was supposed to host uh, the women's tag tournament as, along, along with other stuff. So, no, they, they may have thought, oh, we don't have room to put it on Dynamite, let's put it on YouTube, and the next year we'll put it on the new show. That may have been their thinking, I don't know, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, and 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 I I get that. I mean, it's you know, like had they come out and said though, it's like you know, due to COVID, this will not be airing on TNT. It, it will instead be airing on YouTube instead of being like, hey guys, we're on YouTube. This is a great thing. Let's not you know, let's all pretend like this is you know, kumbaya. This is exactly what we wanted. No, just be upfront. Just say you know, things got delayed, things got switched around, and that we're making the best of a bad situation. Yeah, that, you know, that just be upfront. Yeah, I know that. If that's what really happened, they should have, because that's, you know, the, the, the spin is what is a WWE move, you know. The, the, we Bingo. Watch, we watch AEW and, in, and then New Japan and all the other companies to, to avoid the spin. So it's to avoid the, um, you know, to, to avoid the alternate history. So yeah, the revisionist history of everything. You're right. It's, it's, it's why people have, have liked AEW. But, you know, it's like I, I think AEW is realizing they benefited in the early going from the fact that they are different, from the fact that they are three letters different than WWE. You know, they, they, they got this uh, – there was this honeymoon period, and I think AEW is starting to find out the honeymoon period is over. Yeah, you know, people are not going to sit here and just let you get away – with doing uh, anything, you know, doing a bad match, doing a bad product, doing a bad storyline, and not treating your wrestlers the way they should be, you know, it's like great. We'll pat you on the back. We will tell you that your tag team wrestling is superior. We will tell you that you are, you know, doing a great job when it comes to presenting tag team wrestling. But we are also going to be the same people, the first people in line to tell you that you are doing a disservice to your women's division. Absolutely. You know, it's like, you know, like you said, you know, they've got people like, like Chris Statlander. And, and as talented as she is, as, and as, as over as she was on the Indies, basically what they, like, they did, a, they did her a great disservice because they basically took her off the Indies, 
They knew nothing about her story. They knew nothing about her gimmick. They knew nothing about her as a person or a wrestler. And they just expected it was like, okay, uh, people love her on the indies. You know, yeah, let's just throw her on TV. People will love her. No, that's not the case. You can't just take that character off the indie scene and, and, and put it on TV. It's like, look at the finessing they did with Orange Cassidy. You know, yeah. Orange Cassidy didn't just show up and start wrestling Jericho. Yeah. You know, he showed up, he was in the Battle Royals, and he was ringside for best friends, and they slowly inched him into the television product. Exactly. Whereas Chris Statlander, they just literally plucked her from the indie scene and said, here you go, you know, you're going to get your character over. And not to mention, you've got, you know, the greatest announcer of all time who's got all the credibility in the world, Jim Ross, clearly doesn't get the gimmick, and he's basically just trashing it on TV. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't, that I mean, doesn't help. All of help. these things, all of these things are bad. So my, my point with, with Chris Statlander is we look at WWE and the women who are on top right now, and you've got, you know, you had Becky, but mm-hmm. now you've got Stasha, you've got Bailey, you've got Asuka. Yeah. The women who are on top right now, what do they all have in common? They had NXT. Absolutely. And they had NXT – back when it was network exclusive and even before that it was just you know like hulu and online presence but think about what somebody like a penelope ford who i I personally think has a lot of potential but think about a penelope ford or a chris statlander instead of just plucking them from the indies and being like here now you're on tv and expecting them to just translate with no direction and no guidance think about what could have been done if AEW had their own developmental system where these stars could, you could take a Chris Statlander and Tony Khan could watch Chris Statlander and be like, okay, I see what works about your gimmick, but we're going to have to retool some things. Yeah. But you know, be- this again, this all happens before she's on dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think they're tr- planning that now. Um, Cody Rhodes and QT Marshall with the uh, nightmare factory training school that they've got set up. I think mm-hmm. they're, they're working towards doing, not so much an NXT, but maybe a WCW power plant uh, type equivalent. So, right, and yeah, and that, and I think that that will solve a lot of the problems. And but I mean, the the damage has been done to certain characters. You know, it's like honestly, Chris Statlander needing surgery might be the greatest thing to happen to her career because yeah, yeah. now hopefully somebody, whether it's Tony Khan, Kenny Omega, somebody sits down and says, okay, clearly there is a connection with the audience. How do we build upon that? And when she comes back from this leg injury, what can we do to make sure that she is our Becky Lynch? I think doing the, some of the stuff they did with her on being the elite, they need to put on dynamite, like the kind of stuff where, you know, um, she was having that flirtation with orange Cassidy and, you know, she was doing odd things backstage and saying hello by doing the ET finger boop thing. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. The doing, yeah, doing, some, it, doing some vignettes like that on, on Dynamite would do a lot to, 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 to help bridge that gap between aliens, I, I, I think. so. I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, it's like, um, I was thinking the other day, I think, you know, Hikaru Shida, you know, you talk about how amazing she is, yeah. and she truly is. But, you know, it's like I, I wrote an article for, uh, for belldabells.com, another cheap plug right there, um, but I wrote an article for, for Bell to Bells where I talked about the fact that, you know, you look back when Riho was champion, you look at Hikaru Shida as champion, what have we learned? What do we know about those two in particular 
as wrestlers, as characters. We don't know enough about them. We don't know much at all other than the fact that they're good wrestlers and that they are, you know, that they're champion. I mean, we just, we need to know more about them. And, and it can be something as simple as just like when the match is done, put a mic in front of Hikaru Shida and explain what being the champion of AEW means to her. Yeah. You know, it's like we just haven't had enough moments like that. Yeah. And, and we need to see more. We need these characters to breathe and develop. Because, you know, while, you know, I know it, it is different with, with uh, you know, the, the, the style over in Japan and the Joshi wrestling style that a lot of those wrestlers do just get, not just get over, but primarily get over yeah. by their work in the ring. Yeah. Whereas over here in the, it, with the American wrestling scene, it is very character driven. And yeah. if you, if, if you're not a character, or you don't present yourself as a character, you're not going to get over. Well, I think, I think Riho, the first AEW champion got over because she had the Ray Mysterio thing going for her. She was the smallest person on the roster and she would always come back and she would do these amazing things and she'd get taken absolute pounding and she'd come back and do an incredible move that would pop the crowd instantly. And so I think Rio, and I think they plugged that hard on commentary too. Jim Ross was doing the whole, you know, underdog thing with her every single time he was on commentary. And I think it worked. I think, Initially, I don't think Rio should have dropped the title to um, uh, um, Nyla, Nyla, uh, Nyla, uh, Nyla Rose. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, I don't think she, 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 they should have done that because um, Rio was over, man. She was over and, and Nyla was not. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're right. But, I mean, it's like how many times can we see the same underdog story in pro wrestling? You know, it's like, that's, that's my problem with, with what they did with Riho. It's like, other than her size and and her being an underdog, it was just so her, her act was so one dimensional. And it's like, I get what you're saying. Maybe, you know, maybe if, if she had the title longer, they could have developed her more, but it's like, she had the title for, what was it? Like, I think it was like three and a half months. You're telling me in that three and a half months, like that all the best they gave her was she's an underdog. Like that's, that's my point, you know, is like, yeah, I think they could have just done so much more with her. I understand that. But I think, I think at the time uh, it wasn't needed yet. It would have been needed perhaps six months in the thing. And I, and I would have hoped, and I hope they would have considered that. But at the time, you know, the underdog Rey Mysterio thing was working a trait and people were invested in AEW's women's division as to, as opposed to now, and they're not so you know that's that's my point so they were invested in Riho. so i think i think i think you know that that i, I completely understand what you were what you're saying but i yeah. think at the time it was working and so if, if it's something's working you know don't cut it off like you say you know keep in mind that we need to develop it soon but don't just cut it off and yeah. give it to you know out of the blue, give it to another title holder who honestly didn't do very well with it. So no, I mean we same thing. It's like with well Nyla Rose, and I feel I feel like with with Nyla Rose, they they don't know what they want to do with her. Yeah, it's like you know I feel like giving her Vicky Guerrero as a manager kind of um, it, it probably gives her more of a direction than she had prior to this. Even yeah. holding the women's title, she felt like she had no direction. Yeah. But it's like you know she's she's. On one side, you've got this person who they tout as this great, you know, inspiration because she's she's uh, uh, openly transgender and she proves that she, you know, you you know, she can break barriers and boundaries and she truly is a, a wonderful story and 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 I love I love the story of Nyla Rose and I, I I mean if they if they turn her baby face I mean 
they've got the best story in professional wrestling, in my opinion, to go off of. But at the same time, she's also they also want to make her sorry, not to not to generalize too much here, but basically they want her to be Awesome Kong Jr. Yeah. You know, it's like they just can't make up their mind. Do they want her to be a monster heel? Which again, her I get I get the I get the instinct to do that because she is larger than her opponents. Yeah. But there's also a way to book her as a baby face and to you know and tout her out there as this this truly inspirational figure. Well, to be fair, Awesome Kong is was pretty much Aja Kong Jr. So <laughs> true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's not. Yeah, she's Awesome Kong was not the most original idea either. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's like basically Nyla Rose is like we're like I was talking about with Riho being this one dimensional underdog character. Nyla Rose is this one dimensional. It's like you know, me strong, me take you down. You know, it's like that's, that's it. There's no. It's, There's no evolution of the character beyond that. Meanwhile, meanwhile, while all of this is going on, you've got we're getting developed character development of one of the most brilliant wrestling characters that we've seen in a long time in Orange Cassidy. Yeah. You're telling me that AEW can make a two a three-dimensional, almost four-dimensional character <laughs> out of freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy, but you can't take Nyla Rose, Hikaru Shida, and Riho and do more than just these one-dimensional characters and two-minute squash matches with them. I don't believe it for a second. Yeah. To me, that is just BS. Yeah, I agree. Now, we've been ragging on AEW's women's division for a while, but we, I think we need to focus on WWE a little bit because yeah. you know, WWE has the best women's division in the world, has some for quite some time, ever since they finally got rid of the Davis thing and the Bellas left. Finally, things you know went the way you know we know they should. They should. I mean, they... they Something, I mean, the best matches on the card were the women's matches for eons. It's st- still, still, but there are one or two, my one, one or two complaints. My biggest one, Charlotte. Char- it, 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 it's, 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 it's the female Roman Reigns. You know, every time she's on screen, nobody gets over. Nobody else gets over. It's, it's just, and, and how many times she won the title now? She's been, she's been in WF for like five years and she's won it 10 times. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, I think that's really overkill. And honestly, when was the last time that you ever actually lo- remember her losing a match clean? You know, Becky Lynch at Evolution is the last time I remember her losing a losing a match that didn't have a, an, an asterisk next to it. I mean, it's it's <laughs> you talk about you know OP booking, overpowered booking, Super Cena booking. I mean, holy dooly! I mean. Yes, she is brilliant. Don't get me wrong. She's absolutely brilliant in the ring and on the mic. But you have a lot of other women who are brilliant on the mic too. And I had a major problem with a Charlotte beating Asuka's streak. That completely derailed Asuka. Completely derailed her. And then we she got put, she, and she got put in that awful storyline with Carmella and Ellsworth and. When nobody got over in that thing, and then she landed in the mid card, and then Vince was surprised at Survivor Series when Asuka was getting the biggest pops. He couldn't get it. He just, I think, to to, to still to this day, you know, with her again with Asuka fighting, you know, back on the undercard and being broke back into prominence because she's that good, and people are that, you know, that's a uh, behind her. He still doesn't get it. No, I mean it's it's I I've I've heard I've seen a lot of the the discussion the conjecture about Charlotte and how she's booked and pushed. I, see, I don't 
I the the booking of Charlotte doesn't bother me as much as it it bothers other people because I I feel like you know to me it's not so much that she's super Cena or Roman Reigns because Cena and Reigns they didn't even lose like because of shenanigans you know it's like it, like they just won all the time so Charlotte like Charlotte to me is just a victim of the fifty fifty booking whether she's losing clean or losing you know, because of, you know, interference and distractions and stuff, she's still losing, you know, she's still got that loss on her record. She's a 10 time champion, but she's a 10 time loser. You know, it's like Sasha Banks, you know, it's like until this year, what momentum did Sasha Banks have? Because every time she'd win the title, she would immediately lose it. So with Charlotte, it's like, I, it, it, to me, the thing that frustrates me about Charlotte is not the, 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 the dominance that other people seem to seem it's the inconsistency and that's ultimately what I think bothers most people about WWE's television. It's just like you you turn on the you turn on the TV e- each week for Raw or SmackDown or NXT, and you don't know if you're going to be rewarded for paying attention last week. Yeah. You don't know if the amount of time you invested. You know, I watched Raw for three hours last week, and I'm really hoping that you know this week. You know, we get a follow up with you know hopefully the follow-up for retribution is great and oh they uh they just ran into the ring with a chainsaw you know it's like it's just like that's the overall problem with wwe it's so much bigger than just the women's division or tag team wrestling as we were talking about it's just you're not rewarded as a viewer so anybody who gets emotionally invested in charlotte or in or sasha for that matter you're not you're not being you don't feel like you feel like you'd come back next week and oh, it's all going to be changed. It's like how many, how invested were people in the Rhea Ripley and Charlotte, you know, feud for WrestleMania? I thought, I thought it was a pretty hot match or a, a pretty hot feud to build up. And it just, you know, ultimately you have Charlotte drop the title in a triple threat to Io Shirai, which I love Io Shirai, but you know, what, what was the point in Charlotte's winning the NXT title? It, it, it wouldn't exactly. I mean, and, and, and it derailed Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley was hot. It de- exactly. It devalued Rhea Ripley. Exactly. It's, it's the same thing with a, 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 with a, a, a Suga. I mean, what the? Asuka. Asuka. I keep, I always pronounce that wrong. Asuka. Asuka. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's but spelled, yeah, no, it, it's spelt Asuka, okay? It's, I, it, it's like, yeah, it's like, it should be Shinsuke. But no, it's it's Shinsuke, yeah. It always, yeah. The uh, the silent letters always throw me off. But yeah, it's. Uh, but yeah, no, it's like you're right. It now Oscar. I feel like, I feel like a big problem people had with Oscar's push in WWE was, was she goes from NXT where she was basically Goldberg, and and dominated and and vacated the title to now she's getting matched up with people and they're just booking her, you know a little bit more evenly with people. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind even booking. I don't, it's like Charlotte ending the streak. Yeah. They could have, they could have gone a different route with that. They could have given it to somebody else who could have used it more like, you know, look at Becky. I mean, had, had Becky ended the streak of Oscar, how great would, would, you know, Becky already looks like a million bucks right yeah. now, but Becky could have looked like a million, you know, 2 million bucks right now. So yeah. I, I, um, I do get the frustration with that, but, I don't mind, you know, Oscar. you know, you can't be undefeated forever. Goldberg was, wasn't undefeated forever. Oscar's not undefeated forever. It's just, it, 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 it's like I said, I go back to what I said about not being rewarded as a viewer. Okay, I invested all this time in Oscar, just simply being on the main roster and challenging the women's championship, you know, with Charlotte at WrestleMania, and she loses. Where do we go from here? And she went absolutely 
nowhere. And that's the problem I have. It's not the fact that she wasn't booked as dominant as she was on NXT. It's the fact that she goes from being dominant on NXT to having a, a pretty good showing and competing in some pretty good matches and having a prominent spot at WrestleMania, winning the Royal Rumble. She goes from that to nothing. Well, I think it goes back to um, Vince's booking philosophy. That way, it went all the way back to Hulk Hogan. You have a top star. You have your top star, and nobody else is is a star. Everybody just gets built up a little bit to the point that they look like a viable contender for your top star. Then they lose and they go away, and you have to build and you have to build the next next guy on 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 the conveyor belt. It, that's just Vince's philosophy, and that's that's what's happened with Charlotte. I mean, Asuka, what was the first women's Royal Rumble winner? Purely to get Charlotte over, that, and that and that's the suckiest thing ever, you know. And yeah. I think that that I thought that was such a trash fight thing to do, but that's what happened. And I don't no, know. you're right. It's and 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 it's you're right. It's it's a it's Vince's mentality um, where you know he he's got his stars and he's he's very singularly focused. I mean, even Vince Russo, you know, not to invoke the name of the devil, but um, but Vince Russo is even noted that uh vince would come into the creative meetings when russo was writing and you know vince russo would be there with ed ferreira and they would basically vince would come and say what do you have for rock what do you have for austin and beyond that he would just walk out of the room he just doesn't he just didn't care so you know i'm assuming he's doing the same thing with becky and charlotte what do you have for becky what do you have for charlotte beyond that i don't care dana who it doesn't you know i don't i don't i don't care so he's you're right it's it's a lot about that but you know, and then you've got Asuka being built up just to be fed. It's why when, when, whenever she won, the, when she was given the Raw Women's title and she won Money in the Bank, people were like, oh, you know, people were trying to say like, oh, you know, Asuka's not booked correctly. Well, look at all these things that she's won. It's like, it's not that she won it. It's why she won it. And you brought yeah. up a perfect point. She was given the Royal Rumble to be fed to Charlotte. She was given Money in the Bank to be handed the belt from Becky. Yeah. And then you have, and then what she, she, the, the most frustrating about Asuka as the Raw Women's Champion was it was so many of these shenanigans and these awful, these awful storylines. And, and again, I wrote another piece for belltobells.com. If you want to see it, go check it out. Um, but I, I wrote another piece about the, the, the false finishes, the, not, the no contest, the, no, the, the disqualifications and the countouts, and yeah. why it just does not work booking a, a TV show, a primetime TV wrestling show week to week. And, and, and Asuka in her title reign is proof positive of why it doesn't work. She had the title for 78 days, if I, if I remember right. And she, I don't think she won a single, I don't think she won a single match clean. I don't think she had a definitive victory. She didn't, certainly didn't have a, a, a really a definitive rivalry. You know, she fought Nia Jax at backlash yeah. or, or what, yeah. It's like, so what does her, what does her giving the raw women's championship mean? Nothing. Yeah. I think, because they're building her back up again, because there's no because there's nobody else on the roster unless they want to call up Rhea Ripley or something, which which I wouldn't be against by the way. Um, well, I can't rule it out either. Yeah, exactly. I think what they what what's happening now is um I think what they should do. This is just me playing armchair Booker. What they should do. I is love have, armchair Booker. Yeah, yeah. I think what they should do is have Asuka beat uh, both um, uh, Bailey and Sasha. At uh, back, uh, a pay, it's a payback with with, a, with which she's having two matches, or it's a SummerSlam. 
I mean, they, SummerSlam's first, and then the week later is payback. So I, I, I forget the chain of events, how it's going. But, yeah, we, we're basically getting two pay-per-views in the span of, of a week. Yeah, well, I, I, know, one, I know one of them, uh, you know, uh, Asuka's having two matches, one against Bailey, one against uh, Sasha for each, yeah. for each belt. So what I would do is have, and, you know, this may be, you know, I don't know, but maybe have Asuka beat both... Um, uh, b- both of them for the the individual straps, and then maybe find her a tag team partner at some point, like a Rhea Ripley, for instance. I think Rhea have, Ripley would be great. I think maybe the NXT Women's Champion might be a good partner yeah, for yeah, her. Too. I, yeah, maybe yeah, maybe I oh yeah, and have her win. You know the women's tag belts. Then she'd say, "Oh, I'm the Ultimate Champion. I've got every belt." Blah blah blah. Then have Charlotte come back. And say I'm and beat still her. Quite- great. Yeah, you and Vince are on the same page, man. No, no, no. <laughs> no let me finish. Instead of <laughs> let me finish. Trust me, I'm not on the same page with Vince. Bring Charlotte back, and everybody will think, oh, Charlotte's gonna beat her for every belt, and we're gonna be the same old story. But actually, have Oscar beat Charlotte claim once and for all. Have Charlotte finally turn heel. Because everybody does, doesn't like her right now anyway, for the reasons I mentioned, and but they still try to they're trying to do the Roman Reigns thing, just keep portraying her as a babyface, even though nobody likes her. Just have it go fully heel, attack the crap out of Asuka after the match she lost, after she loses, and then have Charlotte beat Asuka as heel. Then we can have Charlotte mega heel and just let her go off and just you know. Do what they should have done with Roman Reigns all those years ago when, you know, no matter what they tried, they couldn't get him over as a baby face. Just turn him heel. Just turn him heel, let him go off for a bit, then turn him back baby face once fans realise, okay, this he's actually pretty good. So it's it's like no. the rock. You know, people had to learn to hate the rock before they could love him. So I no, I agree. And and it, I mean you you pointed out like turn Charlotte into a mega heel. I mean, that's another thing with Charlotte. It's like, I think another, another reason, another problem I have with her, again, it's not the, the, the dominance that other people perceive. It's the inconsistency. I mean, it's like she's been heel, she's been face, she's been heel, she's been face. She's like the big show at this point. <laughs> you know, they just keep flipping her based on what's convenient. It just doesn't work. You know, it's like week to week, she's just different. There's just, uh, you know, it's like, and not to mention, it's like, literally, it's like you turn on Raw, she's a heel. NXT, she's a face. NXT, she's a heel. Raw, she's a face. SmackDown, it's like, you can't keep it straight, nah. you know, like what they're doing with Charlotte. So I agree. I think if Charlotte comes back, you've got like one thing WWE has to do is they've got to plant their feet with Charlotte. And it's like, is she a face? Is she a heel? I agree. I think she's better suited as a heel, but, but just plant your feet with her and just say, okay, we are going in this direction and we are not going to change course. This is exactly where we're going to be headed. Like just, you know, if say if she were to come back tomorrow, or I think maybe she's what she slated back around Survivor Series, maybe. Apparently, so, yeah, she, she's yeah. So yeah, she needs to return to Survivor Series, and she needs to whatever her disposition is. If she's face or heel, that stays until WrestleMania, at least until WrestleMania, and you just have that plan laid out and you don't deviate. Mm. That might be an idea. I think, like I said, I think that that might be an idea, and maybe my idea of um have Asuka be the dominant champion until um. Charlotte comes around and then maybe they could do a, a reversal of what they did at WrestleMania. Like, you know, have Asuka, have Charlotte win the Royal Rumble. 
Asuka beats her at Mania, gets her phone ultimate revenge. Charlotte turns heel, becomes a mega heel. And then by the time all that will be over and she gets her mega heel run, Becky Lynch will be back from maternity leave. And, you know, they could do Becky and Charlotte again. So, yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, like, like kind of like building upon what you've mentioned, it's like, you know, Asuka, Asuka wins all the belts. And, you know, she's going into WrestleMania as a dominant champion. Charlotte wins the Royal Rumble. That would put her as a two-time Royal Rumble winner. Yeah. It's like you literally would have the two most dominant women's wrestlers in a match at WrestleMania. It's a rematch I don't think anybody's going to scoff at. You look at it, it's like, well, yeah, they're the two most dominant. Why wouldn't they fight again? Yeah. But here's where, here's where I would tweak things. Here's where I think things would be interesting. Asuka goes over at WrestleMania. And then, of course, because next the, the following month is Money in the Bank. Charlotte becomes Money in the Bank winner, doing only what Asuka's done, and then Charlotte challenges Asuka to the to the women's to the women's championship again. So that way, you have Asuka build up some wins against Charlotte, and then Charlotte, as the heel, wins Money in the Bank, and that's how she gets the that's how she finally bests Asuka. She realizes she's not facing the Asuka she faced at WrestleMania 34. She's facing a new Asuka. Yeah, yeah. That, I can see that happening. That's not the be- that's not a bad idea. That's actually pretty good, I, actually. I I think we just I think we just book better TV in fifteen minutes than WWE has booked in the last five years. Want to want to start a promotion? <laughs> Let's do it. Who's who's got the money? Somebody rich has to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> Throw money at us. You like yeah yeah like subscribe rate us and throw us a bunch of money yeah maybe i should set up a patreon i can't get us going <laughs> patreon yeah patreon kickstarter i'll start an only fans so we can get this promotion going <laughs> let's do it man i'm on board let's do it I, i'm not sure you and i will get much money off only fans at the minute but never mind. Ah. <laughs> no no it's we got we got to know our audience we'll do some market research we'll hire brandy she'll be our chief brand officer she'll <laughs> she'll be able to yeah she'll be able to tell us exactly what we need to know yeah it'll be just like it'll be just like when uh when jim barnett came back from australia and started and helped dick the bruiser start the world wrestling association man it's like we're bringing it full circle here aussie indiana connection let's do it yeah, why not? Well, I just, I just, I just which, which one am I? And then, and that, I mean, that's an error. Dick Murdoch or Jim Barnett? Because I don't, that's, neither, that's neither one were very flash people. That's a good question. I, 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 because I, I'm not very Dick the Bruiser like, but then again, I, I don't know that anybody's crazy enough to be Jim Barnett. Well, I'm not going into any clan meetings anytime soon, so I don't think I can be Dick, <laughs> Dick Murdoch. That's fair. That's fair. All right, on that that rather controversial note, I think we might call this a day. Ladies and gents, I am Mitch Adams, talking today with Stephen Dickey. This is Storytelling in Spandex. Please rate, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much. Too sweet us. See you around.